All right, let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is episode four of New Frontier podcast, where we discuss NFT. general as well and also recent events in this space and today our guest is Luke Hoffman. Uh, Luke is a game designer currently at EA Capital Games and used to be also a manager for competitive games. Um, I'm getting that right, um, which is a metaverse project. Uh, that's Welcome, correct Luke. and thank you. Um, it, it's great to be here. Yeah, as you, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm currently a game designer at that Capital working on some of their mobile RPGs, but uh, a couple months ago, uh, my co-founder and longtime friend from uh, the esports space, uh, Alex, um, kind of brought me into this world of I NFTs and metaverses, and uh, it really made me take a look at it. And uh, um, after kind of falling in love with some of the projects, we decided to uh, kind of take some of the things that we were most interested in and, and, and see what we can do in this space, uh, mostly just for fun, but it's really interesting how uh, how quickly people will kind of latch on to ideas when they can see that i guess that authenticity of of uh intention yeah that's a that's a really great point and look if you could uh tell a bit more about bizarre because uh, i see it um you know I, I i had a look at it and i guess you're releasing pretty soon like mid-september uh and uh, it looks uh kind of different because uh yeah those there are avatars and like you know ten thousand uh, bizarros and everything but also you're implementing like mini games and, and things like that, which is uh, kind of different, but very logical to me. Sure. Yeah. So the, uh, the whole idea with Bizarros is, you know, I, I took a look at what people were doing with these kind of 10,000 profile picture projects, you know, the JPEG projects, as, as a lot of people call them, um, and, and really saw an opportunity to, to make that avatar, not just a character that you can play in a game, but maybe a character you can play in mini games, uh, in, in different games. Maybe one of them's, uh, you know, we have a runner game out there where we did a, a crossover with the Alien Boy, which was my first project that uh, I aped into. Um, we have a Tapper game, which is uh, based off of an old arcade-style game that has a crossover with the Sewer Rats. Uh, and the next one that we're releasing is actually like a, a tavern, uh, like a multiplayer tavern that you'll be able to sign into like as your bizarro once it, once it mints and actually interact with other people and these are just you know the things that we're able to do now kind of in our spare time but the the long-term vision is to create just kind of this multi-client multi-game multi-whatever universe and storytelling opportunity where people can utilize these bizarros that represent them uh, across a multiple pieces of software awesome so you 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 feel like uh, you know uh, that Bizarro would become more of a platform at some point for people to also maybe create or you know influence the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. So the the um, we we want to create this with um, the people that come into it. Like I said, this is this is all for fun on on our end. So you know, there's obviously a starting point. We're kind of setting the theme and the visual style and those sorts of things. Um, but the the long term vision is to create the story. Um, through the you know available technology, whether it's DAO or or what have you, um, and actually create that in game world or in uh, maybe animations or or what have you. So really, just kind of like a communal creative experience. I think we're we really want creative people, maybe over investors or those sorts of things. Although you know investors are more than welcome, but we want to create an active community. Um, you know, much along the lines of maybe people who play old games like EverQuest or Lord of the Rings Online or, you know, old school World of Warcraft. Like, we want people who sign in every day and are interacting with each other. 
Yeah, that's that that would be that would be really amazing because I honestly I miss that uh, you know old school spirit of MMOs because um, you know there's been a really great period somewhat like you know 2002 2010 uh, I don't know uh, where you know there's been a lot of new MMOs popping up every now and then and it's been really kind of fun to play them but recently I, I don't remember last time there was. Uh, a good MMO, new MMO game released, but which is like you know, not uh, I don't know, mobile grind or something like that. Sure, yeah, and, and again, that's the feeling that we want. And I don't want to limit ourselves to the idea of an old school MMO. Certainly, those game mechanics can exist within uh, the game, but really, it's whatever people say they want. You know, if there, if there's enough people in the server and they say they want a racing game, we'll figure out how to put racing in it, right? If they say that, hey, let's build uh x or y we'll figure out a way to do it and the the long the idea is once you know the mint actually happens and we've got a little bit of funding to play with this is all just you know out of our pockets right now um that we hire community members as unity devs or you know whatever platform it is to really expand what this is yeah that's that's cool uh okay uh, let's turn a little bit to you know uh other side of the story and other side of the uh older, older side side of the gaming industry in general um and i guess uh you know just like your twitter says that's going to be your personal opinions of things of course not affiliated with the with the company uh whatsoever <laughs> uh yeah but um one of the i don't know things that caught i guess everybody's attention today is that ea actually published uh a, a job posting regarding uh i believe brand manager position which mentions uh nfts and uh, blockchain and things like that as one of like you know benefits if you if you have that the skill and knowledge so in general like speaking about uh all those uh you know dinosaurs in a way of gaming <laughs> companies right like ea blizzard what have you um and uh, a lot of people obviously been waiting for them to enter this space for a very long time because everybody's like you know hey nfts are changing uh, the whole thing you know um and you can have uh, asset ownership uh, in games on blockchain and so on and so on like you know really these wild fantasies uh sometimes so like you know what's what's your take on that how do you think that actually like you know big companies will ever embrace blockchain and asset ownership yeah i think it's it's interesting um i think dinosaur is the right word for two reasons obviously kind of old um, and, and slow to move in some ways, but but large, right? And I think these large companies are going to always try to stay abreast of what's happening um, in a space like this, uh, but it, it causes a lot of problems with the existing business models. Obviously, um, EA is, has had some heat in the last, uh, in the last years, but just about everyone um, has adopted these kind of business models where you know you sell a sixty dollars game and then sell uh, assets on top of it, and then you sell the same again, uh, you know, Call of Duty the next year or FIFA or whatever it is, and then you have to restart that grind and and relicense those assets. Um, so something like NFTs is great are great for the players because you you might be able to utilize those assets across game versions um, and and maintain that ownership, um, but it really changes the the whole business model that has to be um, considered. So I think it would be a long time before we see any of that technology reach those top tier titles. Um, but uh, I, I'm very hopeful that we will start to see more um, more kind of toe dipping into this space. Um, 
honestly, I wouldn't expect to see it anytime soon, but you can bet that everyone is looking at the Blizzard, EA, um, you know, it, it, everyone's taking a look at, at what is happening here and taking note of it um, and find, you know, finding new business models and whether they're going to discredit them or not. Um, it is being explored, as you said. Yeah. And speaking about, like, you know, the whole scrutiny that, uh, you know, all those big companies came under and that was, um, I don't know, kind of a uh, game changer, let's say, some moment. Um, I, I, am, I really like this example with loot boxes, right, which, uh, you know, appeared in, uh, in games like in originating from Asia and so on, but then were widely adopted in uh, pretty much every title. Um, which, like, even if it doesn't really fit uh, the whole narrative or whatever. And then, uh, because everybody was doing that, I guess, uh, it came to attention of uh, regulators, right? And so we had this whole movement when uh, regulators across different countries started, uh, like, you know, sometimes just saying, okay, put uh, exact percentage of every item and every loot box so that players know what they're doing. Uh, and some regulators went as far as like, you know, trying to ban loot boxes altogether. I guess UK did something like that. But in general, like, you know, because um, it's, it's kind of a restriction in the business model, I guess, uh, where you are trying to squeeze really additional money from, from players, just like you mentioned, sure. because sometimes it doesn't make sense. But it makes sense from you know the bottom line of uh, of the balance sheet uh, of the company, right? Uh, and so uh, this is something that's really interesting for me right now, from the perspective of, for example, Axie Infinity, right, uh, which is uh, doing this whole play to earn thing. And now, for example, Philippines are announcing that they would try somehow to tax uh, the revenues generated by yeah. Axie Infinity in Philippines. Uh, maybe they'll go as far as, I don't know, taxing actually income of the players uh, because, you know, that's what, you know, governments do. They really want to tax all your income and that's just what happens. And because uh, big companies been through that, do you think that, you know, regulators will come eventually after everyone? Well, yeah, so that that's always going to be the big the big thing you mentioned earlier that once loot boxes really caught on and um, uh, had become the norm, regulators got interested, right? Um, as soon as this technology gets widely adopted at a mass level, obviously regulators are going to come. And that's going to happen no matter what, assuming that there's success. Um, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that we're quite ready for that yet either. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's still a lot of growth in finding the right ways for these games to utilize uh, NFTs and blockchain, blockchain technology effectively and to kind of show those use cases. Uh, I think there's been some great examples. You know, you mentioned Axie Infinity. There's some others like Star Atlas coming out that look really cool. Um, but I think there's a lot that that a lot that we don't know yet about how this is going to work. And I would rather that all that learning happen kind of in the indie space rather than at the top level, because you know, it, once you're answering to investors, you know, and you're at a public company, uh, profit is really the only driver there. And I think a lot of us are doing this for fun. And I would rather fun kind of drive what the norm is. Um, and then see that adoption happen. Yeah, but like uh, that's 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 the problem for me as well because blockchain games actually answer to uh, investors from from day zero, pretty much, right? right. Because uh, you can you can have an indie game development studio, right, and you publish your games on Steam, and then whatever happens happens basically, right? You most probably go bankrupt, but you know that's 
the other part of the story that no nobody wants to talk about really uh but uh blockchain games really each blockchain game has investors and they have investors in their token and that means that actually which blows my mind really uh investors can influence in-game economy so there is this new power coming like you know and uh interfering with your gaming experience uh like i don't know how how it is possible even to balance that out yeah, but this is so we're talking about in we're talking about institutional investors versus player investors at this point, right? And and while you do have investors from day one, I think that they come from very different places. While there might be some player investors that are mostly interested in in driving value, that's great. And there's probably a lot of games that are going to support that that need to drive value and and earn revenues. Uh, I think the most important part is really establishing like the way that your game is set up to draw the right kind of investors. You know, I mentioned earlier that Bizarros is most, mostly about drawing creatives. We want to find people who want to build something. Um, another game might be mostly about driving people who, you know, while they want to play, they want to drive value for themselves. And I think no matter what, as long as you're engaging in the game in the right way, it's going to drive value and drive interest and more people are going to want to buy in. But while something like Axie Infinity is play to earn, something like Bizarro's is a 10,000 you know, NFT drop, and there might be more drops in the future. But at, the, at this point in time, it's not a play to earn system. It's a fully compartmentalized ecosystem that uh, unless the existing, you know, the first players want to add more players to it, the, that ecosystem is, is limited to, to that set of group of people. Um, so I think that making sure you set up your project in the right way to draw the right people is, is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, when you are like, you know, seeking to the community engagement alone, then, you know, it's kind of easier to, to, to balance things out. But uh, and Star Atlas, Axie, uh, all those, uh, like, you know, uh, anticipated games and existing games, of course, they also have, well, kind of institutional investors on their back, right? Like crypto VCs and, uh, you know, people who invested uh, pre- you know before the game even you know came to any uh, kind of kind of existence existence and uh, you know those people also sometimes are market makers right so they influence the price of uh, let's say your in-game token on the exchange so outside of the game and that's the kind of you know pressure that is uh, you you won't see it pretty much in other systems right i mean of course there was world of warcraft where you know uh, prices of gold on uh, black markets uh, would fluctuate a lot, but they would fluctuate based on the amount of gold produced in the game on the particular server, for example, right? Sure. That's a different situation here. Yeah, in, in um, you know, like you said, there many of these titles are, utilize, are utilizing investment in that way. It's, it's answering to a different uh, a different master than, you know, those public companies like your Activision's. Um, and you can never truly get away from that as long as you're kind of taking that sort of investment. But, you know, what, what I see as the real power of uh, blockchain coming to game and NFTs coming to game is the idea of putting that power within the hands of the player rather than an institution. And that's what I hope to see long term. Um, you, you've, you've highlighted some of the challenges and I have no answers for that other than uh, the intention of the creators and being very careful who you get in bed with. Yeah, and I, I guess that's like that's that's the hard part actually, right? Because um, of your community, 
your own interests, like, you know, trying to make a really engaging and fun game and, you know, change uh, the industry along the way. And then you have, like, you know, the whole crypto side. And if you really implement that, uh, that's that's something that, uh, you know, can really mess up with uh, with everything else, with all the good intentions. That's what I'm kind of afraid of, I guess, uh, in, in this whole thing. Yeah, crypto is not a silver bullet, right? Nothing is a silver bullet. It it, it depends on uh, implementation and community building and, and creator intention. Um, I know a lot of people are very keen on decentralize everything, um, make everything um, community driven. But I think it's really important to to maintain some level of kind of top level. I don't want to say creative direction, but um, you know, maintain the ability to to keep that purity of vision because. Um, you know, people can go off the platform and utilize these tokens for whatever they want when you're talking about something like Bizarro's. If people, you know, if the project ever dies, people still own part of that community. Um, but anything that's too platform-driven is still going to have that potential for ins institutional, like, uh, uh, influence. So, uh, again, I have no answers here, and I don't claim to be any sort of crypto or NFT expert. I'm more of a, a games guy. My, my partner's the NFT guy, so... Uh, if I'm uh, speaking out of my ass here at all, just uh, feel free to stop me. But no, no, I mean that's exactly the perspective that I'm interested in, uh, right? Because um, you know uh, there are a lot of uh, obviously uh, people who I don't know who are who have become in NFT experts. Uh, like I mean, even though the space doesn't exist for a long time, but you know people trying to also find these new business models and applications and and so on. Right, uh, and and that's really cool and interesting. But it's always, uh, for me at least, it's very important to you know take this experience that uh, you know traditional, let's say, industry like game development, been uh, creating for decades, right, and see, you know, does it really make sense? Because uh, a lot of mistakes that I guess uh, people in 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 blockchain gaming are doing were were done already, were done before, or somebody tried to do those same mistakes. Uh, you know, previously, uh, again, this example with the whole regulation story, uh, I guess, is is kind of good here because, uh, yeah, if you do something that is uh, like you know really influencing uh, the economy of I don't know some given community or country or uh, you know just generally attracts the attention, it's gonna happen. Uh, and then, um, just like with the general crypto, in many cases. Uh, you know, you risk if if you if you base a lot of your uh, in-game economy, for example, on the premise that you are unregulated and you can do stuff that you know uh, Blizzard cannot do just because it's a public company. That doesn't mean you actually found this silver bullet. Uh, it means you are just risking uh, your model at this particular moment, but it can change like any day. And that's that's something that I really want to explore here with with you. For example, because uh, you know uh, it can you know it can give, give food for thought for people who are trying to create something like you know there are already mistakes that have been made. There is a different perspective in all of that. So like you know, let's dive into that. Let's see how it's sure. been done before. Maybe learn from that. Yeah, this this brings to mind a really interesting article I read recently about. Um, I'm not sure if you've read this. NPR put out an article about gold farming and RuneScape. Uh, and how it was a huge economic factor in Venezuela, actually. Um, and so basically, people could gold farm and RuneScape and sell that for you know actual currency online uh, and make more money than a lot of the jobs that they could get in Venezuela. 
Um, but eventually what happened is other players from other countries were starting to get uh, mad because there were too many gold farmers and it was ruining their gameplay experience. So RuneScape started banning some of these gold farmers and it negatively influenced the economy of a, of a country, of many people who lived there. Um, and I think that's another part of it that we, that we have to consider when you're talking about something like NFT games um, and, and integrating games with these, these kind of uh, these finance systems is that there's going to come situations where people are, are relying on this and their entire economies, like countries-wide economies, can potentially be influenced. You, know, you mentioned regulations earlier on the Axie Infinity. Um, and it, it's kind of scary to think about that. Um, you, don't, you never want to be in a situation where your in-game moderator bans someone and hurts their, like, their income, their livelihood. Um, and so it's, it, it's really, um, it's really something that I try to shy away from the idea of these games as actual investments. I love the idea of play to earn. I love the idea of you're getting value for your time, but I'm very careful about thinking about it in the concept of, well, can I make a living doing this? Right. Um, cause there's so many forces that you can't control. Maybe the game just shuts down, um, someday. Maybe, um, there's new regulations that come in maybe, you know, what, what have you. Um, and so I, I think that the maybe the biggest mistake is is focusing too much on that value creation side um, and not enough on the side of creating it more as a hobby than as like a, a livelihood, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just like you said, there's been already examples like with RuneScape and with World of Warcraft with all those gold miners and like, you know, there's been these uh, pictures of uh, how this gold mining um, I don't know, teams, whatever, operate, and it was, like, really dystopian in a way. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess, something that we just don't want to, 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 get, to get once again. Um, sure, I would love to make a living playing a video game, you know, not as a streamer, just, like, getting, earning for my time in that game. I'm just very wary of anything at this stage and, and probably in the near future. Um, you know, I've said this many times, so what, what I'm doing is just for fun, and I'm hopeful that, I think that the early projects are going to be those based around creating a community that does give back, does create values for its users, um, but is based almost entirely around, like, that positive fun aspect rather than kind of the investment side of it. Yeah, totally. And by the way, because your, uh, a big chunk of your professional experience comes from the esports. Esports, from my perspective, is also something that you can basically call play to earn, right? But it's just a different form because you kind of create the content. So, uh, I mean, sure. do you think that maybe that's one of the directions that it can all take? Because uh, I've seen that uh, there are some uh, esports teams that are looking and exploring uh, the whole NFT opportunity, right? To uh, connect, better connect with their fans and things like that. Yeah, so so it's it's a similar sort of thing, right? So in esports, you're earning because you're creating content around a game that is valuable to that game or to the tournament organizer or whomever. Um, play to earn NFT games, obviously, you're creating value for the game by by engaging it. So there's some similar uh, similarities there. Um, I think that esports is still finding its footing, right? It's 30 years old, 30 plus years old at this point, uh, and it's still really finding its place within kind of the the professional levels, the upper echelons of industry. Um, Overwatch League has had some some setbacks and had to pull back a little bit. I think we've seen League of Legends, while it's a huge esports ecosystem, absolutely massive, largest in the world, still very careful and very tentative in the ways that they approach um, scale and spending and those sorts of things. 
Um, we've seen esports kind of come and go. Obviously, Brood War, StarCraft still exists. StarCraft 2 still exists, but much smaller. Um, and so there's some problems that traditional sports don't face. There's some great benefits to the dig uh, digitality, the digital nature of of esports. Uh, but even that's still being figured out. And it, I think that's remarkably simple compared to uh, the possibilities and the problems that, that NFTs uh, are, are creating. And so while while I think that it would absolutely be possible to kind of come together and, and find that silver bullet uh, now, I, I think adoption is going to be much slower than we would like. I mean, VR is still not even adopted. So um, I'm not naysaying. I'm saying this is super early stages and there's so much cool stuff to come. Uh, and we're going to try to figure that out together. Um, but I'm also saying, you know, there's there's no rush, right? Like it's it's here and there's no there's no rush to find the uh, to, to go too quickly um, and maybe make more mistakes than we need to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like, you know, with, with these sports, it's also, I mean, one of the things that probably are not mentioned enough is that uh, the whole esport is basically tr still trying to find uh, the business model, you know, how, how it operates actually, right? Because, uh, yep. you know, you, you can try to create uh, your uh, income source, for example, to build it upon uh, sponsorships and, uh, I don't know, uh, streaming revenues or something like that. But Sure. Really, not so many people are able to do that. Like it's one percent, top one percent, or even less than that. Yeah, and even despite the like, it's pretty, uh, pretty proven how effective esports, you know, sponsorships and those sorts of things are. It's just the adoption is very slow, and it's because it's still new to many people. Um, and and I think that that's part of um, that. For instance, going back to Bazaar is part of what why we didn't go kind of the more traditional Axie style play to earn route is um, I don't think we as as developers were ready for it. I don't know that a wider user base is ready for it. Well, we saw NFTs as is access, right? It's a ticket into something. It can be a ticket into many things. Um, and I think that's the most basic form of what an NFT does. It, it proves your ownership and that ownership can be used for access. Um, and I think that maybe esports can utilize uh, something similar uh, to that effect. but. Um, Let's figure out the simple forms first and then start adding the more complex, you know, financial and investment aspects on as we figure out those simple, you know, access problems. Yeah. And again, um, there's been a lot of limitations uh, on not just, uh, I don't know, logical side of it, but just like you say, on, on the financial side of the whole story. Uh, and one of them, I guess, uh, that's one of the news that maybe people missed. Uh, and it came out today, and that's uh, that uh, Apple uh, settled down on on that uh, lawsuit with the developers, and it will allow now alternative payment methods in App Store for pretty much everybody, and not just like you know like they had it before for I know Uber and marketplaces and you know, the goods that you purchase outside of the app itself. So, do you think that's going to you know drive some more adoption for? I know things again like esports or gaming or whatever. It certainly makes it much easier. Um, so I actually, before esports, my int uh, introduction into the world of gaming was um, I, w I worked at a major Minecraft server called Lifeboat Network. Um, we were a Minecraft server that had like six million monthly players. It was insane. Um, but we we actually faced those problems with with Apple. Um, of not being able to, the only way that we could make money was through like selling access to certain items and things on our servers. 
Um, and so this is really interesting to me as someone who struggled with this long before kind of like the big NFT craze and a lot of what's going on now and maybe kind of the early days of these, uh, you know, this wild west of creating your own servers and games. Um, and so it's really great to see um, those kind of anti-competitive practices being pulled away. Um, I think that that helps things like NFT games, for instance, uh, actually be able to go on these platforms, go on the Apple platform. Um, and people really have control of, you know, creators have more control of over how people are interacting financially with their games. But um, yeah, I, I love to see that. I would love to see deregulation continue to happen. Um, so major win. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, um, I mean, that's like, again a very fragile balance between regulation and deregulation, right? Because, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing, uh, I guess. Uh, big companies actually control us at the moment much more than governments do, right? So actually, Apple always had more control over game development than any given country. Like, you know, okay, UK bans uh, uh, loot boxes, we can survive that. But like, you know, Apple not giving you an ability to implement, for example, crypto for a blockchain game. That's that's the key, basically. That's yeah. Your your whole project is basically down from day one. You can't do anything, and that's the power. You know, I guess we understand, but sometimes under underestimate. Sure. Yeah, and we're we're seeing NFT marketplaces. You know, what was it three billion in transactions on OpenSea and and others starting to grow as well. Um, and we're starting to see the the, the platforming of NFTs. I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with these games, whether they start utilizing platforms like the App Store, like the Google Play Store, like Steam, even for instance, or whether you know entirely new marketplaces are are necessary uh, for those sorts of things. Uh, I think ideally, I would love to see it just become like there's not a difference between an NFT game and a regular game. It's just there are games, and some of some of them use this technology, maybe others don't. Um, and it really just becomes a it integrates into the standard first through indie games and then through maybe some mid-level projects and then finally some major company will have an experiment that fails and then somebody else will try it again later and it'll succeed right and this is you know five years down the road ten years down the road but um, yeah I, I I love to see that deregulation because I think that it it creates an environment in which the, it, it, this world doesn't have to be otherized it doesn't have to be something separate. Um, you know, eventually, I, I'm of the opinion that eventually we won't be using traditional currency uh, for many things, especially online pur purchases. We will be using, um, you know, whether you call it crypto or, you know, new finance or whatever um, at, at some point in time. And so I, I, anything that accelerates that is great. But going back to my earlier warnings, I, I don't want to push it too hard and create undue regulation and undue um, stresses like that. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and and speaking about uh, this team, uh, one of the thoughts I had earlier, and I'm really curious about your opinion. Uh, Steam basically is a, a platform that already has a huge number of games on it, right? And they have uh, you know different uh, connectors between those games in a sense, right? So you have Steamworks, you have uh, Steam uh, Market, whatever it's called. I didn't open Steam for quite some time. Um, and basically, you could trade all those. Uh, you, you can trade all those cards and skins and whatever from games. So uh, that's uh, somehow, let's say, allows you to transfer part of value, at least part of your time, from one game to another, right? Because you can, I don't know, grind achievements in one game, sell, sell them off, and buy another game, and so on and so on. 
And so basically nothing would prohibit really Steam from introducing a system where you can transfer like all of your assets from one game to another. I mean, they could provide a mechanism for that, but uh, they never did. And uh, yeah. one of the reasons, I guess, and maybe uh, developers never asked for it because uh, developers really don't have any benefit from this on either side, uh, like uh, you know, from from the side where you know players are leaving your game uh, easier because there is really no barrier to exit anymore, except for maybe your social connections. But again, that's so easy to bring from one game to another. And yeah. on the side, like, you know, where you're accepting a player that is coming with some valuables and you have to give him something for that, is basically cutting uh, off, you know, his spending opportunities. Yeah, so uh, bringing up the Steam Marketplace uh, is really interesting. This is something um, I've actually discussed with uh, my co-founder before, is that Steam kind of has this idea of owning your items and then you can sell them and get game credit and spend it on another game or spend it on in-game in items for another game if you buy it through the Marketplace. Um, and that's really cool. There's even ways to get money out of it, right? Some people will use it to buy codes and then like sell those codes on Marketplaces like G2A and actually get some of their value back as actual traditional currency. Um, but as you mentioned, there's, there's not really a great incentive for either Steam or the game's creators um, to, to allow people to easily take their money out of the ecosystem, right? Or easily transfer their value from one game to another because they're not really earning anything off of it. Um, I think what, uh, you know, traditional, in, um, smart contracts are doing, you know, with royalties and those sorts of things are, or maybe one, uh, one answer, you know, if they, if, if they move in that direction and they start allowing royalties to be paid, then at least there's something. Um, but there is a big problem with, do you really want people to be able to take the investment that they made in your game and transfer that to another game and can just take that completely out of your ecosystem? Um, as players, that's awesome. Like I, I totally want that because if I'm done playing Dota and I want to go, you know, be a CS:GO player now, I would, I would love to transfer all my value without that huge value loss that sometimes you get from selling on the marketplace. Um, and so, um, I think that's a question for us as as designers and developers and creators and crypto lovers to uh, to try to answer is like how do we give our users how do we give our players exactly what they want which is to be able to take their value anywhere but how do we make sure that that doesn't leave us kind of holding a bag as it were or or you know completely kill off our our own ecosystem um uh i, I think that uh there's no again no no real good answer for it yet um i think one uh, one step is for that royalties uh like i mentioned earlier um another step is uh just creating um uh a more giving more ownership uh like platforms like steam giving more ownership to the actual game developers rather than holding it on themselves um giving the developers some room to experiment uh and actually uh control that platform so so I think Steam would be a great starting place, like at, at a major scale, for these types of uh, games to exist within, because they already have the marketplace, as you say. Yeah, uh, and uh, just for our audience, if you have any questions, uh, you can post them in podcast chat channel, and we'll try to answer all of them. Uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, Steam is quite a unique example, not just from the perspective of the marketplace and like, you know, this ecosystem platform style of, of business in general, but also because of, you know, the structure that they uh, have internally, right? So it's kind of this, uh, how, how they call it, Indigo company or something like that, where, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of horizontal structure and uh, you can easily go from one uh, project to another in that like 
um, kind of in spirit of uh, what many blockchain companies are trying to implement. Uh, and I guess that's also an interesting difference, uh, right? Because uh, a lot of uh, gaming companies, uh, especially those, again, dinosaurs, at some point, they stop being uh, purely game development companies and become more of a corporations, um, you know, more of corporations than development companies. And then you have all those indie companies that uh, kind of have more flexibility but don't have the resources. Um, and speaking about resources in general, um, one interesting point that was made about the whole, for example, pay-to-earn um, mechanic is that actually it's uh, kind of a new, uh, it's not really new, but it's a different user acquisition strategy, right? Uh, because um, you, you, you kind of give people money uh, instead of giving those the same money to, I don't know, ad networks or... Uh, I know your TV ads or something like that, uh, and because uh, you know we are giving those money directly to people, basically they also spread the word, and you get more users onto onto your product. So it's it's a little bit different, but that's like the point where you know the whole balance, the whole economical balance of the game becomes even more fragile because how do you actually measure this UA cost? Right. Yeah. So the. Your, as you say, your UA is going directly to the players, but then you get this weird feedback loop where the more players you have, that can potentially, you know, it, it kind of devalue that, right? Um, it, and um, again, this is one of the. I, I'm sorry, I don't have many answers for you. I'm sorry. Yep. Oh, I'm a bit of echo through your through your microphone. Um, this is one of the um, uh, the questions I don't have a great answer to, um, and also partially why you know uh, we have chosen with Bizarros uh, to uh, to to keep it to that simple uh, stay. You know, maybe we will in, uh, engage some play to earn practices over time, but initially what we're doing is creating this limited access. You know, this ten thousand uh, character drop, um, and so any value that goes into the ecosystem because it does it, it has that immediate. Uh, that immediate limitation, uh, that value stays in the ecosystem. Like if your token goes up in value, no one else is going to come in and kind of muddy the waters, right? And, and kind of devalue the asset that you have because there is that limitation. And if we decide to expand that in the future, that is something that you know has to be agreed upon by the people that are already there. Um, so if, they, if, if an expansion is desired and it's wanted and we think that that's valuable for either whether you know the community just thinks it'll be fun or they think it'll make their assets more valuable, that's kind of up to them. Um, but they don't have to deal with that to the same extent. Um, so I, I think being very careful with that, uh, with that spreading around of value is is really important right now for projects to be successful long term. Yeah, but also, uh, for example, in case of Bizarros, that means that you are basically limiting your audience by ten thousand people. Right, there cannot be more than that. Uh, and so that can kind of influence the whole, for example, if, if you introduce competitive mechanics uh, in, into the game, right, that kind of limits it severely. And do you think it's good or bad? Yeah, so uh, I think the limitations are are good in a couple of ways. I think it keeps it to a very manageable uh, scope and size. We're a small team. It started out as just the two of us. I do all of the uh, kind of development on the game side. Alex, you know, he he knows uh, all about NFTs, crypto. He works at a, a Stacks accelerator. If you're familiar with Stacks, um, 
and we've we've brought in a couple more people than, since then. We have a contract dev, a couple of moderators, but it's still a super small team. And I think we we really didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. And I think what we wanted to do was create a very strong, tight-knit initial community, kind of a stage one, and see what they want to do from there. Like, if if that community thinks that that the investment that they've made is best used to expand the game, to reach more people, to maybe in, um, integrate some of these play-to-earn mechanics, that's awesome. I just don't think that we were ready for that yet. Yeah, that's 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 actually a very uh, you know interesting situation because um, again I've been mostly working in in uh, MMOs uh, through my career in game development and that uh, you know also was always a fragile balance. Of course, you want to listen to your community because you know your community is using your product every day, but you kind of don't want to you to, to listen to them too much, right? Because they can have the weirdest ideas. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I mean, they, you know, there's someone with a weird idea. He brings it up, and everybody loves it, because they don't really understand, you know, the uh, actual mechanics uh, that you need to develop in order to make this, you know, come to life. Uh, they don't really uh, see the whole balancing uh, that comes, you know, that it needs to be worked out in order to, you know, introduce this or other feature, and uh, that's kind of. Um, you know, also a very interesting point for me, like, you know, from this governance perspective, especially in games, right? Because there is no other product that people actually engage with so much as they do with games. So sure. how, how do you do that? How do you balance out, like, you know, these weird and unreasonable uh, requests uh, when you have basically a doll? Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's that's hard. I am, you know, very pro kind of democratic process in in this um, concept, and I, you know, I'm personally of the opinion that if enough people have made their point um, heard loud enough, and it's within the realm of reason, right? I'm not gonna. Uh, there there have to be some boundaries where you say, okay, guys, we you know we don't have that many resources, we can't do X, Y, or Z. But if it's within the realm of reason, and it in it is has been you know well presented well defended and enough people are behind it um you know it's okay to make mistakes it's okay for a community of people to make a mistake and learn from it um and and i think that uh you know it, within the realms of those guardrails it, it's okay to let your players drive towards things that maybe you disagree with. I've been surprised many times that, you know, things I thought were either dumb ideas or bad ideas, uh, people ended up loving um, and, and turning out really well. So I, I don't claim to be any sort of expert on what's going to work and what's not going to work. All I can do is present my side of it once, you know, presented with this idea that I think, oh, maybe this isn't the best idea. And if I'm not compelling enough, you know, then, uh, then who am I to say that they're wrong? Yeah, that's that's really interesting times to live. Um, okay, um, if uh, we don't have any questions from the audience, I really uh, don't have any other questions right now as well. That's all I had prepared. Um, but it's been a really interesting conversation anyway, uh, and I really appreciate your take because, again, like I said, it's really I, I really think we don't listen enough to the people who had a deep involvement with the traditional. Uh, side of the story, right? Uh, I mean, we kind of, because there is this narrative, I guess, crypto finding, uh, fighting against the old ways, uh, but it's not always necessarily a good decision. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, I appreciate you having me on. It was it was really nice talking to you. I, I hope that 
the conversation was useful to at least someone out there. Uh, always happy to answer questions. You can, I guess, find me through Bizarro's. It's just uh, bizarro.club is the website. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. As you, as always, we've been recording this podcast and we will publish it and I'll send link over and I will also publish it on Twitter and everywhere else. So, I cannot, whoever missed it can, can listen to it. I think it was really an insightful conversation and can help a lot of people who are trying, you know, to think of the ways to create a really meaningful uh, gaming experience on blockchain and using NFTs. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.